Good morning, folks. Thanks for joining us today. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the opportunity to come to your word. And we thank you that you have taken so much effort and trouble to make sure that, that we can hear your voice and that we can read your word and hear your word. We thank you that you've given your Holy Spirit who, who comes to help us interpret your word and apply it to our lives. And so we're just very excited this morning coming to this last section of the, the book of Titus. Um, we ask for your blessing. We ask for your provision. And we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Um, I recently met a man called Cornelius who works for the Ghanaian Embassy. And it's been great interacting with him and getting to know him. He's committed his life to Jesus and, and he was baptized at Six Arundel Road a few weeks ago. One of the things I've noticed about Cornelius is that he's super excited about his home country. He loves Ghana and he's very proud of his country, but not in a sinful way, but rather in the sense that he, he simply takes delight in the good aspects of Ghana and he likes to talk about it to people. So he told me with great pleasure that Ghana has the ninth biggest economy in Africa, um, that education and healthcare, primary healthcare are free for the citizens of Ghana, <clears throat> that pregnant woman and elderly folk can travel on public transport without having to pay. Uh, and he also told me that politically, Ghana has a very healthy, stable democracy. Now, ever since uh, Cornelius told me these things, I mean, on the, on the one hand, he made me feel quite envious <laughs> of him as a Ghanaian, um, but I've also just been reflecting on, well, how do you actually measure the success of a country? Uh, how do you measure the success of an organization or a church for that matter? Um, how do you measure the success of a country's economy? And so I did a little bit of reading up and the success of an economy is usually measured using something called GDP, gross domestic product. product. The, the GDP of a country represents the value of the economy and it's sort of like a price tag on the output of the country. Here's another definition that I found that will be on the screen. GDP is a broad measure of overall domestic production. It functions <clears throat> as a comprehensive scorecard of a given country's economic health. I'm sure you're very, very relieved to have had that little nifty lesson in economics. Um, but here's the point. How do we actually measure the transformational health of Harvest? We've been learning that Paul wants the church to be an agent of transformation. So how can we tell how we're doing? And so in today's passage, right at the end, Paul names no less than four members of his team in three verses. And that's if you don't call, uh, count Paul himself and also our people that he refers to. In other words, every member um, of the church. He sees the whole church as a team. And he gives this team instructions. So I deduce from that, that transformation requires teamwork. And just as GDP can be used to measure a country's economic health, we could also use the acronym GDP as the measure of a team's health, its ability to be transformational. 
So to have a healthy team at Harvest, and remember when I'm talking about team, I'm conceiving of the entire church, not just the leadership team or the praise and worship team, but the whole church. To have a healthy team, Harvest must be generational, that's the G, D, diverse, and three, productive. So that's a new definition of GDP. Generational, diverse, and productive. And we can see all of those three elements in the closing verses of Titus. So I'm just going to read them to you briefly. Titus chapter 3 verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And there we come to the end of the letter. So, G, generational. Paul describes Titus as his true child in a common faith. And the odds are that the other people mentioned here at the end of the, of the chapter, uh, we're all younger than Paul. So if our harvest team is to be healthy, we must be training those who are younger so that the baton can be passed on to them in due time. How do we do this? Well, for one thing, we seek to have programs that disciple and train children and teenagers. But don't forget, this doesn't mean that you as a parent can abdicate your responsibility to disciple and train your own children. You actually have a daily responsibility to do this. And the precedent is set in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It'll be on your screen. It says there, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. In other words, this process of discipleship and training of passing on the baton to the younger generation is to go on on a daily basis throughout the day. As you walk along the road, as you're sitting at home, when you go to sleep, when you wake up. And if this doesn't happen in your family or in our team as a whole, the consequences are going to be very serious. There's an example in the Bible. Joshua was the general who led the conquest of Canaan. And he and his people and his army saw the most incredible miracles when they took over the promised land. Just remember the, the siege of Jericho, how the walls came tumbling down simply when they marched around seven times and then shouted out um, a shout of praise to God. The walls just literally fell down. But listen to this. And Joshua... The son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And this is the sad bit. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. 
What was the result? This is just absolutely tragic. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. You know, Baal worship and some of those other worship forms at the time even involved sacrificing of children to the God. Such a terrible thing. That to the God Molech, actually, that's the one situation that I can remember. But, folks, training isn't just confined only to children and teenagers. In all our ways, in all our ministries, what we need to be doing is seeking to make sure that there are people on the team learning from others and that they're coming up to take over the baton. This applies to the eldership team at Harvest. It applies to site leadership teams. It applies to life groups different ministries like praise and worship and so on and so forth. And so for a team to be healthy and capable of bringing transformational, I uh, beg your pardon, transformation, it must be generational. And this is one of the reasons why we see at the moment that, that Harvest in some ways is going into a, a period of consolidation. We don't know how long that will last, but um, certainly at Sabre where, where there's a lot more people attending, um, Craig is, is instituting um, midweek groups um, as time goes on so that, so that everything to do, the, the mechanisms, if you like, for discipleship are in place and so that they're happening. So, G, we need to be generational. Let's move on to the D, which is diverse. Go back to the passage, just have a look at it there. Lots of funky names, <laughs> Artemis, Tychicus, there's one for anyone who's got a kid on the way, Zenos, uh, Apollos. Who were these guys? Let's just have a, a quick look because there's actually a lot that we can get out of this. First of all, Artemis. He's only mentioned one place in the Bible, that's here, and he was to replace Titus in Crete. Um, and there was a Christian historian called Dorotheus, there's another great name, um, he wrote a document called the Acts of the Seventy Disciples. And those seventy disciples were the ones referred to in the Gospel of Luke, where we read that Jesus sent out the disciples in pairs to preach the good news about God's salvation. Isn't that interesting? Jesus trained twelve disciples, and then underneath them there were seventy disciples, all being trained and brought up. And Artemis had been part of that system. He was trained by Jesus and then he was trained by Paul and worked with Paul. Let's move on to Tychicus. He's mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul describes him as his beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. There, there's this sort of a family flavor obviously to, the, to this teamwork. We can think of it in terms of team or family. And Tychicus is also mentioned in the Acts of the Apostles as having traveled with Paul on part of his journey from Macedonia to Jerusalem. So you're going to see now on your screen a section of scripture. I'm not going to read through all of it, but just glance over it, cast your eye over it, and just see how many different names there are there. And how many different races. There were Thessalonians, they would have been Greeks, Aristarchus and Secundus. There was Gaius of Derby, Timothy, there were Asians, people from Asia Minor, which is where Turkey is now, Tychicus and Tropimus. All of these people, such an incredibly big 
and also diverse team that were working with Paul. It's kind of mind-boggling and, and very inspiring. Then there's Zenos. Um, Zenos is called the lawyer in Greek, nomikos. Um, a nomikos was a learned man who was skilled either in Roman or in Jewish law. Obviously, Jewish law was more of a, of a religious um, nature. And it's likely that Zenos was an, uh, the, the, the latter, an expert in the Jewish Torah. He would have helped to counter the arguments of the false teachers, the false lawyers, who were constantly trying to derail converts to Christianity with their quarrels about the law. We see that in chapter 3, verse 9 here in, in Titus, with their devotion to Jewish myths. We see that in chapter 1, verse 14. So that was Zenos. And then lastly, Apollos. Apollos was an African. He was an Egyptian from Alexandria, a gifted preacher and teacher. And I'm going to read a few verses here now because I'd like you just to see how the team, how the, 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 the body of Christ worked together. So Acts 20, 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He didn't know about the baptism that Jesus give, gave, which was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Now listen to this. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, other members of the team, other members of the body, they took him aside, they did it politely and respectfully, they took him aside, didn't do it publicly, and they explained the way of God to him more accurately. He was already on the right track, but he just was slightly incomplete in what he was doing. And when um, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. So you see the family working together. Do you see the team working together? When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. So there's a lovely picture of the team working. You know, none of us are perfect. Sometimes there are things that are lacking in our makeup, in our gifting, that are made up for by the rest of the body. And so then we are emboldened and equipped so that we can serve the body better. So what do we get from all of this, this brief history of those um, four different men? Well, what we get is that Paul was a team player and his teams were very diverse in three areas, race, age, and gifting. And the church benefited from diversity and the church actually empowered each member of the team to exercise his or her gift for the benefit of the whole team. Zenos and Apollos, for example, they were helping Titus in Crete. And then the Cretan church made sure that they had everything that they need, needed, that they were properly resourced to head off on their next ministry trip to go and help another church. And in the same way, we at Harvest want to do these things. We want to encourage diversity of race and gifting at Harvest. And as a team, we want to empower every member of the church, every member of the team to do what he or she is gifted to do.
one of our harvest values um, is vibrancy. And this speaks of the fact that what we're doing needs to be lively. It needs to be full of life. And of course, this is because the Holy Spirit is involved. He energizes us. He gives us life. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is that he gives different gifts to different people. And so we want to find out and help you to find out what those gifts are so that you can use them to serve the body. Because if you aren't using them to serve the body and you don't, or you don't know what they are, then the body is going to miss out because we need one another. Each person is God's provision for the body as a whole. Now, I just, I just want to come to one of the challenges of diversity. What we need to guard against is to make sure that diversity doesn't lead to division. For example, even though Paul and Apollos didn't ask for it, the Christians in Corinth divided each other up on the basis of who followed Paul or who followed Apollos. Just look in 1 Corinthians 1 to 10. Paul writes there, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by close people that there is quarreling, quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, that's the Greek name for, uh, for, for Peter, or I follow Christ. And then he says, you know, for heaven's sake, guys, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Why would you want to follow a particular person and boast about that when actually it's Christ that we're all following? Then he says, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Just, it's such a sad situation. And we need to prevent that from happening in our context. As Paul alludes to the, um, and how do we do it? How do, how do we stop that from happening? Paul alludes to the answer in verse 15, where he mentions love. Do you see it there in verse 15? He says, all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. In other words, those who are members of the team love one another. And if I love the other people in the team, all I want, quite simply, is the best for them and vice versa. So love is sort of like the glue that brings unity in diversity. On the, on the other hand, division is powered by self-interest, by wanting to promote myself at the expense of others. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. Let's just read in 1 Corinthians 3.21. Paul says, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's and Christ's is God's. He's saying, let's not boast in men. The, you know, the Corinthian leaders were boasting about their leaders. Why would they do that? Well, they were saying, the man I follow is Paul. And that implies that if I'm boasting in that, that I think that the man who follows Apollos is not as good as me. Why? Because I'm implying that Paul is better than Apollos. So one person was promoting himself over another simply on the basis 
of, of who he followed. And there's no love in that, folks. Love is not about promoting yourself on the basis of who you follow. It's about seeking the good of others. It's about seeking the good of the team. So for a team to be healthy and capable of bringing transformation, it needs to be G, generational, D, diverse. And love is the glue that brings unity in diversity because we're, we're looking out for the interests of others over ourselves. Let's move on to the P in GDP, which stands for productive. Paul writes in verse 14, let's read it. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. That's quite challenging, isn't it? Are we devoted to doing good work? What's the purpose of that? So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So a healthy team, folks, is a productive or a fruitful team. And we're productive and fruitful by helping cases of urgent need. In the immediate context there that we can see in the scripture, the need is for resources to equip Zenos and Apollos for their next ministry journey. I mean, they would have had needed, needed to have money for um, getting onto ships. Um, they would have needed to have food and supplies, all of that sort of thing. And by supplying that, the church that supplied that in Crete, they were going to be meeting the church's need, the extended church's need, for an expert in the law and a passionate preacher. And as the team enables each member to use his or her gifts, it's going to meet all kinds of urgent needs and be fruitful in the process. So Paul closes his letter with the words, Grace be with you all. I love the fact that the letter ends on a note of grace. Why? Well, because our productivity depends on God's grace, not entirely on our own energy and efforts and resources. From, for a start, it's His grace that changed us from being rebels into children. And how could we do anything of value for God when we were still enemies of His? So it's grace that changed us from being enemies, rebels, to being children. The other thing is that God's grace gives us the resources we need to do His work on an ongoing basis. So Jesus said in John 15 verses 4 to 5, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. It's grace, isn't it, folks? It's grace that enabled us to be grafted into Christ. And grace is the sap that flows from Him to you, enabling you to be productive and fruitful. So, if love is the glue that brings unity and diversity, then grace is the fuel that energizes our fruitfulness and our productivity. So in conclusion, I'd like you to think about those three different words, generational, diverse, and productive. Generational, what can you do to grow? Because you need to be getting trained and discipled in the faith. And what can you do to help other people 
to be trained and discipled in the growth? In what way are you um, positioning yourself to receive the baton? And in what way are you passing on the baton to other people? Diverse. What is your gift? Get started on that journey of trying to find out what your different gifts are, um, what, what the Holy Spirit has empowered you to do, what you can do that other people maybe can't do as well, um, and, and, and start to use those to serve the body of Christ. Remember, a, a gift is not for you. A gift is something in your hands to be passed on to somebody else. So whatever your gift is, if your gift is leadership, if your gift is hospitality, it's a gift in your hands to build up the church, to help the church to grow. And folks, as we do all of these things, we will become productive and fruitful. We'll become agents for transformation in our spheres of influence, whether it starts at a nuclear level in your family, extending out from that into your places of work and also into our society at large. Let's pray. Father God, we, we come together just to commit ourselves to being agents of transformation, to being a team, a transformational team with a really good GDP. And just speak to us, um, just in whatever way you've been burning in people's hearts. I pray that you would, you would show them how they, they can respond to that. Show us how we can respond to it so that we can go out and be those agents of transformation that you want us to be. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.